<laughs> Amazing. Man. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, I'm going to nice start off. You all do. We're big fans. <laughs> oh, we are, man. This is such an honor. Okay. Uh, we, um, Stephen and I connected recently and had so much in common being from Vanderhoof and everything else and have a passion for, uh, he and I uh, went to, well, he actually taught at the little tiny school that I attended. And Come on. So, That's great. Yeah. And Vanderhoof's tiny. I mean, it's itty bitty. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, so it was like a an Instagram thing where we were like, um, "Hey man, how are you doing?" I was from Can I'm from Canada too, and then he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I grew up in Vanderhoof." He's like, "No way, I I went to Northside. I taught at Northside, so it was it's crazy." <laughs> so anyway, chatting right. with each other, he was telling me about hanging out with you in in Florida, and I oh my god, I had so much FOMO because traditionally <laughs> I've been like, "Oh man, I'm not gonna pay a couple of grand to go down to these damn uh, meetups." Or these, you know, it's it's a shit coin, you know. And then I was like, "What did you do?" And you went and saw, you went and saw Peterson and Breedlove. Damn yeah, yeah, it, that man! Was fun. Yeah, yeah, that oh, was fun. Oh God, this guy made that happen, right? He embraced us from the word go and oh. super super down to earth. And yeah, I appreciate. It. Yeah, no, was, well, you guys were. Uh, you, you could be the offensive line for any uh, any Bitcoin any Bitcoin <laughs> yeah, conference. So well, that's, that's uh, going to be. That, that, that could be a reality, you know? <laughs> you mean because so, he's 6'4 and 270 pounds? Not just him, but uh, the, the whole clan he was hanging out with. I mean, holy crap, there's a bunch of huge men, but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> good, good old Canadian boys, right? Yeah, so, man. Uh, yes, sir. But no, look, okay, so I'll, uh, I'll just give the audience or however you want to use this. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, a, I'm a Montrealer. Um, I grew up uh, in the city and I went to McGill as an engineer, which I think is pretty important for anybody who uh, uh, embraces Bitcoin. You, you, you need to have a, a level of comfort at the outset, in my opinion, of understanding uh, mathematics. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be an expert by any means, but if you have a if you have a math background, it tends to be easier to orange pill those people. By no means is that restricted to, to saying you have to have a math background, but it does help. And that's the reason I bring up my engineering. And uh, I mentioned McGill because I went to McGill as an engineer, but I really didn't go there to, uh, to, to become an engineer. I was actually, uh, I played football at McGill and I was, uh, you know, I, I was there to play football as any 19 year old kid is like, you don't really figure yourself what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. But after four years, pretty quickly, uh, I realized, my God, my football career was over and I don't want to become an engineer full-time and I got lucky and I applied to a business program in the United States. I went to an Ivy League school uh, called Cornell University, which is just uh, about a five-hour drive from Montreal. It's in upstate New York, beautiful part of the world. And I uh, was lucky enough to, uh, to live with uh, a group of Americans down there that incidentally, we just had our 35th year reunion in Cooperstown, New York. Uh, that's home of the Baseball Hall of Fame about three weeks ago. So saw all these knuckleheads uh, after, you know, uh, you know, on a regular basis. But these are all predominantly Wall Street guys now. Uh, some of them are, uh, there's a guy in Northern California or in Southern California, actually, he's an actor, though. Uh, just a, a mixed group of people. But what was important on, on that front was I, um, I got to experience the difference between Canada and the United States. And I think you'll realize too, right? Learn is, uh, is, you know, you think the two countries are pretty similar until you spend an extended amount of time in the, in the country, you realize there is distinct cultural differences. Uh, there is a uh, certain difference in, uh, you know, the right and the left in Canada 
you know, extreme right wing is not the same thing as extreme right wing in the United States. You got to live that to learn it. Um, but anyway, uh, I graduated in 1988. So that's how long I've been, uh, you know, uh, out and I became a financial engineer. So went from a practice, uh, not a practicing, but a, a trained mechanical engineer uh, in undergrad to a financial engineer in uh, uh, my new life. And, and this is important because I say this to Canadians who typically, one of the big differences between the United States and Canada is the banking system. And everyone has this uh, idea, oh, the Canadian banks are so safe, you know, oh, those US banks, they're not safe because they do crazy stuff. But Canadian banks are, are very safe. And this is one of the reasons I bring this up because that's not true. Banking as a whole is a very, very risky business. Uh, the amount of leverage in banks is basically the same around the world in that in order to compete in banking, you have to have a, a similar capital structure. And that capital structure is built on the fact that for every $100 of loans a bank makes, they don't hold much more than 5 or $6 of equity capital, the risk absorbing equity, to protect against a loan loss. And the reason I bring this up, so in other words, they're 20, if they're five times equity and on $100 of loans, they're 20 times levered, which means the other $95 comes from deposits or a subordinated debt, okay? This is just the reality of banking, which is another way of saying, imagine how many loans lose more than 5% of their value in the event of a, uh, of a, of a bankruptcy. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a lot more than 5 cents on the dollar. The typical recovery rates are anywhere from zero to 40 cents on the dollar recovery rate, which means you lose at least 60 cents. So the key is not to have too many loan losses, but the reality is banks are cyclical. So I happened to join in 1988, and it's a story I often tell. I was, came back to Canada and I worked for Royal Bank of Canada, Canada's largest financial institution still. And that was the same case in 1988. And I was working directly for the CFO. And the CFO, good French Canadian guy, Emile, one of my first projects was to evaluate the Latin American debt portfolio of the Royal Bank of Canada. And in 1988, the world was suffering a debt crisis. It was driven by a, imagine that, an appreciating US dollar, much like we're experiencing today that crushed emer emerging market economies. And these emerging market economies had all taken out loans denominated in US dollars. So their economies were tanking, their tax revenues were going down, and the interest expense was rising because it was in US dollars. So it was a recipe for disaster. And the average Latin American lo loan was trading at 25 cents on the dollar at the time. One of my first projects was to evaluate the, the portfolio for the CFO and determine what Brady plan option we were to take as a restructured debt option from US Tre Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady, who had designed these restructurings for the global banking system. It wasn't just Royal Bank of Canada. It was the entire global banking system that was in the same situation. And essentially, here's the story. 
I did a quick back of the envelope calculation and I, in under 10 minutes, I determined the Royal Bank of Canada was bankrupt. Holy fuck, right? Mm -hmm. This is Canada's largest financial institution. I'm working directly for the CFO. I'm 20 something years old, 1988. So I would be 25 years old. I go, I go, Emil, we have a problem. And he says, I know, don't tell anybody. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, here's Canada thinking we have a really strong banking system relative to the 10,000 banks they had in the US. We only have six nationwide banks. Well, we were all in the same problem. The entire banking system was insolvent on its way to bankruptcy. And the CFO doesn't want anyone to know. And I'm 25 years old and I'm like, holy shit, I just spent six years in school to come out and work and find out that the banking system is a house of cards. And that was really the first time I started to question this whole fiat system. Because the reality is Canadians firstly don't know that the banks are that exposed to risk, but what they always feel is that our bank would be backstopped. And this is largely true. The failure of the Royal Bank would be backstopped by the government of Canada, right? Too big to fail. And while that's true, how does the Bank of Canada backstop Royal Bank of Canada? By printing money, okay? That's the only way that they would be able to backstop a failure of the Canadian banking system. So therein lies the problem of the global banking system and why I love Bitcoin better than any other digital asset that would solve the fiat Ponzi, okay? So first thing for your listeners to understand, you have digital assets, yes. I like to refer to Bitcoin and then the other digital assets. Some people call them shit coins, that's fine. I only know this, that Bitcoin is the only digital asset that solves the fiat Ponzi. And for that reason, it's the one I focus on because I believe the fiat Ponzi to be the biggest impediment to our children's future. The banks have been bailed out on a regular basis. I lived 1988. 10 years later, I lived long-term capital management, 1998, where you had a Nobel Prize winning economist who levered a hedge fund 100 to one, not 20 to one, 100 to one, and sold insurance to Wall Street and then Wall Street had to bail out the insurance company because they realized the insurance they were buying had no value. So they had to bail out the insurance company. That's 1998 long-term capital management. Then I was working at a hedge fund in the 2008 great financial crisis. Again, kicking the can down the road, socializing losses on Wall Street driven by subprime mortgage lending. All of this is to say, people, the banking system and capitalism is the Ponzi. I love capitalism, but there is no such thing as capitalism in banks. They socialize the losses. Every time they blow their brains out, the Fed and central banks come in to rescue them. It's no way to run a capitalist system. You need creative destruction in capitalism. But what's happened with the banking system in the successive banking crises, continued bailouts. The TARP program in 2008 was just under a trillion dollars. That's the Troubled Asset Relief Program. 
That's a trillion dollars. 10 years later, the globe just printed $10 trillion to rescue the COVID crisis. Again, another banking crisis. So what is Bitcoin? It is scarce, 21 million supply. It is not controlled by anybody. So it is not central bank planning. It is not centralized. There's no CEO. If you're not happy with Bitcoin, you can't write a letter to anybody. Okay. It's controlled by a network of computers around the world that defend the protocol and security of this network. So people say Bitcoin's got no intrinsic value. Well, I think it's got a ton of intrinsic value as an insurance product. But if you don't buy that argument, understand it's got network value, much like the internet. Okay. How valuable is the internet? Well, it doesn't trade for a price, but if we turn the internet off today, the value of that network would be seen extremely quickly from all the, the applications that are built on top of the, 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 the network. Bitcoin is a technology just like the internet. And Bitcoin will have applications built on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, much like the internet has applications built on top of TCP IP, okay? Same exact technological thought process, but I'm a financial guy. And we could move this to a finance topic if you want, or we could talk about the beauty of the technology, which starts with a Bitcoin wallet. Just get a Bitcoin wallet for yourself or for your children or for both of you and experience the beauty of being able to send monetary value anywhere in the world that will settle instantaneously as a lightning transaction or within 10 minutes as an on-chain Bitcoin transaction. If you guys don't understand how beautiful that is, to be able to send money anywhere in the world, go and try and send a wire transfer through the Canadian bank system and try and settle it in a place like New Zealand. I've done it. I can promise you that it is a painful process that you can get accomplished in 10 minutes on the Bitcoin blockchain. It would take you at least seven days to do it in the Canadian banking system if they let you send the money because they'd be saying, well, we don't know who this indigenous tribe is in New Zealand. Well, I've sent money to an indigenous tribe in New Zealand to support their efforts at inc increasing their, uh, you know, social state, not status, but their quality of life. I said 750 US dollars worth of Bitcoin. It settled in 10 minutes. If I had tried to do that through the international banking system, it never would have settled because they don't probably trust the indigenous tribe in New Zealand, all right? That's the legacy banking system that's held together by poor management, undercapitalization, operations that honestly, you think that a network out, outage at Rogers causes problems. That's what happened a couple of weeks or last weekend in, in Canada, a big network outage in uh, Rogers. Imagine when one of the networks of the Canadian banks goes down, how people are going to feel, because it's going to happen. The operating risks within the Canadian banks are held together by COBOL programmers that are dying off regularly because no one knows. And I'm not trying to bring an operating risk to light as much as to say, this is new payment technology competing against a dated, restrictive 
global banking network that it's like, in my opinion, Google versus Yellow Pages, okay? Like that's basically the, the, the uh, tangent or, you know, the, the uh, similarity that I'd like to, uh, to, to draw. It's new technology. It's a network protocol. It's so exciting. Go and watch it in action at tradeblock.com. Watch the blockchain in action. I'm an engineer, I'm visual, but when I saw tradeblock.com, when I saw the Bitcoin blockchain in action, a living, breathing uh, organism that allows the transfer of value anywhere in the world, I was blown away. And I guess I'll summarize it this way, guys. I spent 35 years managing risk as a hedge fund manager, as a credit trader. I do know this. I believe Bitcoin to be the best asymmetric investment opportunity I've ever seen in my life. And I'm a risk manager where I place probabilistic bets or investments based on expected value outcomes. And Bitcoin is the best asymmetric investment opportunity I've ever seen. I'm not saying that you have to own all of your assets in Bitcoin. In fact, I would call that irresponsible, but there's plenty of Bitcoin crazies that are out there that have all of their assets in Bitcoin. That's not the way I manage risk, but I do believe having zero allocation to Bitcoin is incredibly risky. You need to think about that for a sec. What it means is if Bitcoin succeeds to the point where I think it will, the price of Bitcoin right now is a rounding error. If you don't own any, and in 10 years it's trading at hundreds of times its current value, you're going to have missed the generational wealth opportunity of your lifetime. So my advice is to get more than zero. And once you get more than zero, don't lose focus that you still have 100 minus zero of your assets in other assets that are way worse return opportunities. So if you get 5% in Bitcoin, try and turn a blind eye to Bitcoin for a while and focus on the other 95% of your assets that are at far poorer return advantages and much higher risk, in my opinion. And that's how I would, I would end this little chat is... You got to study it. You got to make your mind up over time by experiencing the beauty of the technology and then understanding that if you even put 1% of your portfolio in Bitcoin and it goes up a hundred fold, well, then all, all of a sudden it becomes worth 50% of your portfolio because the other 99%, let's say it maintained its value and this 1% just went up to 100%. So you have 200% worth of stuff or $200, whereas before you had only $100. Yes, it's now 50% of your portfolio, but that 1% went up 100 times. I believe it can go up more than 100 times. That being said, you got to play probabilities, etc. And that's what I've spent my whole life doing. So, you know, a little bit of a ramble. Uh, I'm a good Canadian boy. I like to give, uh, you know, everybody a chance to, uh, you know, question. But what I do know is I've spent thousands of hours 
on this asset. I become more convinced each day of its value. And the greatest thing is, it's now, you know, $50,000 per Bitcoin below its all-time high. I think it's a fantastic time to buy. I actually will come clean and say, yeah, I bought my first Bitcoin at 800 bucks. Here's the crazy thing. It's actually a better investment today at 20000 than it was when I first got into it at 800 Why? Because the response of the global central banks to printing or to COVID and the printing money and the, the easy money, $10 trillion, we know there's no way of escaping the debt spiral. It's impossible, mathematically impossible to escape the debt spiral. You have to print forever. A grade 11 math student would understand that. Your, your guys at, you know, wherever you were, that small school in uh, British Columbia would understand it after about an hour of, of looking at the numbers. It's not that difficult, people, okay? Don't believe the bullshit that the newspaper spread, that the central bankers spread, that the people who will be disintermediated by Bitcoin spread. Bitcoin is going to take over Visa and MasterCard. Bitcoin is going to take over Western Union. Western Union is the best short I've seen in a long time. Okay. That's the blockbuster. That's the first one to go down. Okay. Yet you still have these idiots out there that own Western Union stock because, you know, it's in the S&P 500 index and it pays a dividend and all this. It, it's really quite sad, but creative destruction. Bitcoin will win. You need it as insurance. That's the end of my spiel. I'll open the conversation. That was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, something I want the listeners to hear is, I get it. I get up on my soapbox and I preach away. I've had, you know, I get a couple of beers in me and I uh, chase people away, or, you know, when we're around the campfire and all. But when a guy like Greg Foss, who has 35 years of experience, is telling you, hey, guys, I've been noticing cracks in the in the plumbing of the financial network now for 30 plus years and and this has gotten worse and worse and worse and and now uh, before you got on Stephen and I were talking about this and we were like you know it's a game of um you know is this a s stupid or is it a lie and and I think we're actually past the point of of the blame game of saying like what you know why and we're on to the and we're on to holy shit we hit the iceberg what are we going to do about it who cares if it's stupid or a lie you know we're we're past yeah. pointing fingers and thank god that there is a safety net down there a life a lifeboat yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 well let's look at a couple of facts right um the fact is that let's look at what the federal reserve is doing right now they're trying to battle inflation that just came in at a, a reading of 9.1% year over year, at 9.1% in four years, because interest, comp excuse me, inflation compounds, in under four years, you will lose half your money. Holy crap. Now, that's not to say that, that inflation will, will uh, exist at 9% at, at, at level, but it's my belief that there's some ingrained inflation that will require the Fed to increase their inflation target from 2% to probably around 45 to 5% annualized. It's actually one of the only ways the Fed could continue to grow the economy is by inflation, okay? And 
here's the scary part. They thought they were going to raise interest rates to a total of 5%. They're only at one and a half percent right now. They'll probably go 75 or 100 basis points to two uh, and a, two and a quarter to two and a half percent. And that's where they're going to have to stop because if they don't stop there, the interest burden on the outstanding debt is going to bankrupt the United States. It's actually already bankrupt. No one has just done the calculation. And there will be a point where the interest burden is larger than the military budget. Okay. You need to look at the math of the, of, of the, of the USA to realize what a precarious position they're in. And I don't think a lot of people have actually done that math, even at the Federal Reserve. But don't take my word for it. Listen to podcasters, listen to experts like Lawrence Lapard, a personal friend of mine who's on Twitter. Great guy, 64-year-old gold, gold bug from Boston that now has embraced Bitcoin as the new, call it digital gold. There's... This is a process, people. You don't get it. The light bulb doesn't go on immediately. It takes a, a process, some studying. And then once the light bulb goes on, it can be increased. The, you know, it's, it's like one of those dimmer switches. Yeah, now it's on, but oh my God. And then your eyes open and you really get excited because yes, thank God there's Bitcoin. Because if there wasn't, I know I would be extremely discouraged because I'm leaving a world to three kids that's really messed up from a financial perspective. We have politicians that don't understand it. We have a spoiled politician in Canada who lived off his daddy's credit card his whole life, who says stuff like the budget will balance itself. I mean, seriously, they got to fire this clown. If he was the CEO of any publicly traded company, he would have been fired on the spot for, for making such an outrageous, childish comment like the budget will balance itself. It, ex it, it shows a complete lack of understanding of how accounting works, of how revenues work, of how an economy works. So, you know, there's a lot of danger out there. I like to think of Bitcoin. You, we, you called it a life raft. I like to call it an insurance policy. And the reality is the value of Bitcoin from an insurance policy has actually gone up, but the price has gone down. Wow. That's pretty exciting as far as I'm concerned. The For value sure. has gone up and the price has gone down. Why has the value gone up? Well, because these crazy central bankers have taken it to a new level of irresponsibility. Bitcoin price has come down. It's higher than when I first bought it, but it's better value even than it was when it was at 70,000. In other words, if Bitcoin was at 70,000 today, I'd still be telling you to buy it, okay? Because it's an insurance policy. And I've used various methods of calculating the value of that insurance policy based on my, my uh, history. I've written a paper on it. I'm part of an educational platform called lookingglasseducation.com, which is a, uh, uh, one, of the, one of our contributors is based in Whistler, uh, in Whistler. and a, a great kid from, uh, from New Zealand. But uh, you know, now is an uh, is, is uh, expat living in Canada it publishes some amazing research on the fiat system and the dangers in the fiat system. So yeah, looking glass education, do your work, read papers, listen to smart people, listen to podcasts, understand there's an inherent problem 
with the government putting money in your bank account and you not having to work for it. Why do we pay taxes? Why doesn't the government just give us money, right? Think about that for a second. There's an inherent problem with that. Yet kids these days think that it's their entitlement. Oh, I'll just do serve or I'll just, you know, I'd rather sit in my basement playing video games than going to, you know, working at a bar or uh, as a, at a, a restaurant or a service industry. This is the problems that happen when you get crazy politicians in power that just abuse the ability to print money. And that's what fiat is. Fiat is a piece of paper. And there was a famous French uh, philosopher, his name was Voltaire, that said, over time, the value of fiat always returns to its intrinsic paper value, which is to say it returns to zero. Don't be caught. Don't be caught holding fiat assets. The road is littered with countries or yeah, countries like Venezuela, where they literally were shoving their currency to the road because it wasn't even worth the paper. It was garbage. I don't want that to happen to Canada. I, I have to be honest though, Canada is at a, a much larger risk than the USA. And Canada will fail before the USA does. There's a lot of very indebted countries in Europe that would have failed without support from the European Central Bank, read Germany. But the Germans are going to be fed up with supporting their lazy southern neighbors over time. And there's going to be all sorts of risks that could come to the surface. And that's why you need something like Bitcoin. For sure. Um, I really love the fact that you're not saying, hey, guys, uh, do this because I said so. You're saying, hey, um, because of my experience, this is what I've seen. You go out and do research. Don't believe me. And that's one thing I've noticed about the, you know, the Bitcoin community and the minds in the Bitcoin space. And uh, I've been in it long enough for several years that I've said, okay, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to read everything. I'm going to listen to everything. And I'm going to see who's right, you know, and, and myself, I've noticed that the headlines I read on, you know, major media and whatnot, they're always feeding you lines of bullshit. You know, it's like, that's not true. That's not true. But what I've right. seen in this space is it's it's almost like uh for the last few years people like yourself have have written this all out and now it's like watching it like a like a train wreck in slow motion unfold before your eyes it's like holy it's scary shit, these Lord, guys are right, right. Yeah. yeah and it's your it's you got kids right like i yes. mean one of my thing i'm i'm 58 years old i mm -hmm. got three kids like yeah you know i've made a little bit of money in my life um they're gonna be fine from a fiat basis but that's not what I want. I want right. them to be fine from an insurance basis, from, a, from, from the reality that you cannot print yourself to prosperity. You, excuse me. You cannot pay people to sit in their basement and play video games and assume that everything's going to be all right in society. So, you know, there's a level of responsibility that comes with this. Maybe it's because I'm a dad. Maybe, you know, the young kids are just understand that the young kids have grown up with an iPhone in their hands, where for me, it's very tough. I grew up with a rotary dial phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally a rotary dial phone. And I don't appreciate the beauty of the technology that, the, that, that comes with holding an iPhone in your hand or a mobile device 
that has more computing power than put two men on the moon yeah. in 1969. So I was six years old. I remember that. I don't remember it vividly, but I remember that event, watching it on a black and white television. And, you know, technology moves quickly. Uh, a friend of mine and a fellow Canadian, a British Columbia guy, the author of the best book I've ever read called The Price of Tomorrow. His mm. name is Jeff Booth. Yes. Jeff has a saying, he believes there will be a hundred years worth of change in the next 10 years. Wow. That's how fast technology is moving. And I believe Bitcoin is going to be at the forefront of this technological change. Remember what I said about the base layer, the math and code protocol, and then the applications that are going to be built on top of that. Okay. So it's exciting. Yes, the price is volatile, but if you own the proper amount in your portfolio, you understand it to be insurance, you own it for 20 years, you're not owning it for 20 days or a month and a half to make a quick flip back into fiat. You're owning it as an insurance policy. And if you think of fire insurance, you don't sell your fire insurance on your house. And you particularly don't sell it when the fire is coming down the road, much like the global financial crisis that we're, in my opinion, experiencing right now. And we could hit a debt crisis imminently based on what I'm seeing happening in the high yield market and the, uh, and the credit markets that the equity markets have no idea. They're always the last ones to learn, right? The equity guys are always the last ones to learn. So I, people need to understand in a diversified portfolio, Bitcoin has a spot. Think of it as your insurance. You don't trade your fire insurance. You own fire insurance as protection. I like to think of Bitcoin as exactly the same thing, but with asymmetric return opportunities to the upside. It's for my kids. I like to say that often. Learn math. <laughs> Do this for the kids. It doesn't get more difficult than that. I try and have X number of Bitcoin for each of my children. Maybe that's a way that people will like to, to think of it. And, you know, you can own as little as 100 or $10 worth of Bitcoin. You don't have to own a full Bitcoin. This is other things that people don't understand. But you learn, you go out, you talk to people, you do a bit more research, you get a more comfortable with this emerging asset. And there will be a time, I'm fairly confident, that Canada will price its oil and natural gas in Bitcoin. I believe that'll happen within my lifetime. Great. It doesn't matter. Yeah, wow. If that happens, we can change the entire outlook for Canada as a resource-rich nation that heretofore is using a U.S. dollar that can be printed by the United States, a US dollar to price our oil and natural gas. Well, the USA has the ability to print energy. Canada, we don't price our oil and natural gas in our own currency, we price it in US dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, if you priced it in Bitcoin, I think it could be the smartest move that Canada could ever make. It would ensure the generational wealth for our kids. It'll take time, but Imagine one day you wake up and Russia's doing that. Well, first movers gain. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with everything about Russia, but Mr. Putin is 
not a stupid man. Mm -hmm. He has seen his assets get frozen, his U.S. Treasury assets get frozen by the U.S. Central Bank. I'm not sure if I was him that I'd ever own another U.S. Treasury bond in my life. For Why sure. hold something that can be frozen by, you know, we'll call it an enemy, right? It's, it's the craziest idea out there. So Canada and the USA are friends forever, but it doesn't mean we have to support their ability to print energy, okay? It's our energy. We should get paid for it in return an asset that will keep its store of value rather than be debased at the finger of a drunken Federal Reserve in the USA. All of this is to say, this is a process, people. Uh, I'd be interested to hear any questions you guys would have at this point. Um, you know, I've, again, I've done way too much talking, but the, <laughs> the, truth, the truth is that, you know, you guys have been on your own journey. Um, it's, it's what I bring to the table is 35 years of mistakes, okay? But the cool thing is I've survived. I managed yeah. risk. I made my mistakes, but I didn't allow those mistakes to kill me, to put me out of business. I believe not owning Bitcoin could be the single largest mistake that many risk managers will make in their career. And that doesn't matter whether you're managing a hedge fund, you're managing a balanced mutual fund, or you're just the CFO of your household. Not owning Bitcoin could be the biggest financial error of your career. I'm asking people to consider, and I'm hoping they don't make that error for their kids. If they're too fucking stupid to do it, okay, do it for your kids, okay? Because that's the problem with fat old white guys that make <laughs> all the decisions like me, okay? Yeah. They are spoiled. We are a generation of spoiled, fat white guys that have pulled forward gains that should accrue to our children because we're too lazy to solve problems the old-fashioned way with hard work. We just want to turn on the printer and allow, you know, the money to be automatically deposited in our accounts. Very, very poor uh, or squid-like behavior, right? No backbone. Let's get a backbone back, people. But then I'm, I digress a little bit. Uh, this is about risk management. And yes, hard work secures the Bitcoin network. Uh, it's got all the beautiful things I love. And, uh, and nobody controls it. That's the most beautiful thing. There is no central banker that can fuck this up. It's decentralized. It's the most important property of the Bitcoin network. If you're thinking about other digital assets, I promise you there is an air of centralization in all of those. I'm not saying don't own Ethereum, but I'm saying understand the risk of having a quasi CEO like Vitalik who can change the rules at his own discretion or his proof of stake discretion. Anyway, um, how about we have some questions or, or sure, go from yeah, there? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, 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 based on our audience, because I think um, you're not preaching to the normal choir here. Uh, yeah. I just want to throw a little caveat in for everybody sure. listening. Uh, fiat, uh, we just mean uh, traditional currency, your current, whatever country you're in, whatever uh, currency they're using. Backed by trust. 
backed yeah. by trust. You yes, have to have right. faith backed in the nothing. government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then most importantly, you have to have faith in government not to abuse the printer. Yes. Because ultimately, supply and demand will lead to excess supply, mm -hmm. will lead to the value of that unit of account debasing. So Canadians think they've made a ton of money on their real estate. It's a funny thing. You haven't made money on the real estate. It's just that the unit of account called the Canadian dollar has debased de over time so that it takes more of these dollars to buy the same asset because they keep printing more of these dollars. For sure. Devaluing the value of the dollar over time. Yeah, I was uh, going to get to that point too uh, when you were mentioning... Um, you know, raising rates is their way to, you know, pour the water on the on the fire of inflation. And you were mentioning it in, in the, you know, most macro scale, that being, you know, the, the, uh, the government uh, finances. But if we look at it even on a smaller scale, there's a ton of zombie companies out there that once these yes. rates get too high, they're going to be screwed because they're not going to be able to refinance their debt. They're only alive right now because of the access to the yeah, cheap. Well or, yeah, so, yeah, well I mean, said. this is a... This is going to be a shitstorm. Uh, your your buddy you mentioned earlier talked about the snowflake that's going to start. Oh the yeah, outlet. that's Jeff. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's we were, another we were one of his. Uh, yeah, this you never know which snowflake causes the avalanche, right? right. And uh, there's a lot of risk out there. There's zombie companies that should have been uh, taken out to the barn and shot, but uh, <laughs> have been kept alive on life support by artificially low, manipulated interest rates. Uh, in some cases, the Fed even bought the debt of some of these yeah. high-yield companies. Now, you know, that's not creative destruction. That's life support for something that should not continue. You know, creative destruction is a absolute necessity for capitalism to work properly. And when you try and rewrite those rules, you, you're left with companies that are producing less value than they're consuming. And uh, they, you know, they don't belong in a smoothly functioning capitalist system. So, yeah, very dangerous. But it seems to be the way of, uh, you know, the way the governments are moving, the, the socialism of losses, the socializing of losses, the, oh, the safety net for everybody. Well, guess what? You can bring any, everybody down. If that safety net is too large, it drags everybody underwater. And that's mm -hmm. absolutely, we cannot afford that for our kids. Yeah. You were mentioning also uh, housing prices and whatnot. I was uh, in the mortgage uh, banking business okay. for a minute. And um, that's another thing I think a lot of folks don't realize is they have this uh, idea in their head that they have this equity in their house, but they don't realize even right now at this time, it's pseudo equity. It's like, okay, go try to access it. What are you going to do? Are you going to refi? What's your plan to get that out of there? Uh -huh. I think people are, I mean, I've, I've seen data lately about credit card debt recently. Oh, it's yeah. like month over month, it's growing exponentially. And it's like, you know, they're probably going, all right, we're going to go out and, you know, take this RV trip still, even though we're paying 500 bucks to fill up the RV and we're going to do all this stuff because we'll be able to just go pull some uh, equity out of the home. But, you know, all of these things, people aren't looking and seeing the macro picture here and seeing that, holy shit, like we, the iceberg isn't just straight ahead. We're, we've hit that fucker and we need, uh, you know, we need the safety net. We need the lifeboat. So that's just another thing where when you were mentioning housing, you were mentioning like, hey, these rising interest rates. And guess what? Like you said, if you look back in history, traditionally, what, what uh, you know, our central entities have done is bailed out these idiots for their stupid decisions. So we see this debt spiral, as you called it, just getting 
exponentially higher. And then I can't even fathom what the next print will be in order to bail out all this insanity again. What do you think some of the catalysts will be that'll actually stop uh, the ability to just hit that print button? I, I've heard some Bitcoiners say when countries like Russia and China and India actually band together and say, you know, screw these guys, we're going to go ahead and settle our debts and settle, you know, make our oil payments in something other than US dollars. Do you think it could be an event like that that actually puts an end to this insane debt spiral print thing? Um, you never know what, what will be the, the tipping point. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say this, um, that it is the best way to enter Bitcoin in my opinion, is dollar cost averaging because it is a volatile asset. You never know, you know, if what other impacts in the global financial system are going to uh, uh, impact the price of Bitcoin. But what I do know is that over time, a disciplined approach to uh, to accumulating Bitcoin is a smart approach because the, you know, we're talking about a lot of things here that, that, you know, what could trigger a price spike? Well, something like a G7 country putting it on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to happen. I can't tell you when, but I will uh, also say that, uh, you know, you have to, you have to own more than zero at all times. Don't try and time markets. Dollar cost averaging is, you know, dollar cost averaging is a time proven strategy to entering Bitcoin uh, markets. And the, the reality is, don't start, don't not do it today because you think the price is going to go lower. What if there is that tape bomb, the, the proverbial tape bomb to the positive side that causes the price of Bitcoin to spike? You know, literally it could spike $50,000 higher in a matter of time. All it would take is, you know, a small country or a large company like Apple to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet to cause people to think about this. So uh, go and get yourself a Bitcoin wallet and experience the beauty of transferring value with your kids, uh, with neighbors, with merchants. Experience the technology, start accumulating Bitcoin. And once you get a certain amount, learn how to take control of your own Bitcoin and keep it in cold storage. Learn how to, if you're Canadian, there are opportunities to buy Bitcoin in your RRSP, which while I will caution that, yes, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. The truth is, if the government's going to pay effectively 50% of the cost to buy Bitcoin, I'm going to take that tax <laughs> yeah. advantage, okay? Because uh, all of this is all of this is about a risk management process, okay? So try not to time markets, try not to uh, overthink things. That's another one of my little uh, 
my little, uh, you know, taglines. Don't overthink this. Even at five times the price, meaning at $100,000, Bitcoin would be cheap, in my opinion, based on the research I've done. So I don't care if it goes from 20,000 to 15,000 before it goes to 50,000. You just buy some at 20,000. You also buy some at 25,000. You also buy some at 50,000 because it's still cheap at 100,000. Anyway, um, you know, again, I'm rambling. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think, God, you guys must have heard this a thousand times. It must be driving you crazy. But, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's my passion to try and bring my experience to the, to the room, which is literally, uh, you know, this uh, 35 years of sitting in a risk chair, 35 years of looking at investments that bring value to a portfolio. And in times like this, when everything's going down in lockstep, bonds are down, stocks are down in lockstep, first time in history. In the last 40 years that NASDAQ has been around, has there been a double digit loss in the NASDAQ coupled with a double digit loss in treasuries, you long treasury bonds? Okay, never happened before. The world is a different place right now. The Fed is out of control. You need insurance on that truism. Yeah. Hey, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, and I was going to give uh, Stephen the chance to, yeah. to probably ask you the final question, but I just wanted to throw this in there before I know you have to take off. But uh, hey, we appreciate your ramblings, man. Uh, keep uh, up the good work. I don't know how you do it because you're on like I, I listen to it. I try to listen to every show you're on and I God, really you must be, your it. eyes must be bleeding because you're like, Oh my God, they have same, this FOSS. You're saying they have the same FOSS, damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. This FOSS, <laughs> this FOSS bingo card, right? No but man. Sometimes I, I try and yeah, but sometimes I say it, honestly, I have to repeat myself because most yeah. people are so darn silly yes. that yeah. it goes in one year yep. and out the other. Yep. Okay. It's like, you know, I was just in Vancouver. I was in Whistler and then came down to Vancouver less than a week ago, or I guess it was about a week ago. And there were 200 people in Vancouver and it was amazing. Wow. And, and I just know that people care and they care because there's no, they know that there's something inherently wrong with yep. the system. They can't yes. always put their finger on it, but mm -hmm. they know there's yep. something wrong. So 100%. yeah, now I'm happy yeah. to do my part. Uh, look, I've made uh, I made a good living in the fiat system. Okay. I don't feel guilty about it because I did it. Honestly, I did it with hard work. I did it, you know, coming home some nights beaten up so badly because the markets take that out of you, but live to tell the story. Sitting in a risk chair in the great financial crisis was absolutely terrifying. Okay. The world was ending. The prices of bonds were dropping $20 on a trade just because they had to liquidate. There was fund managers that had to sell. It's not coming. It's not fun. For every million dollars, if a bond drops by one point, that's $10,000. When it drops by 20 points, that's $200,000 you've just lost marking your portfolio to market. You buy something at 100 bucks and on the next trade, it's worth 80. Mm. That fucking sucks. Okay. So understand that I bring experience to this chair, to this conversation that many people in the world have never experienced. And that's the unraveling of a financial system. Last word to you, Stephen. 
Yeah, I mean, we've heard the uh, the Foss ramblings uh, a thousand times. It's always <laughs> good. We love each Man, and every one awesome. of them. I appreciate it, guys. You know, Thank you. Proudly Canadian, right? I saw a joke the other day, too. It's like, uh, can Canadians ever talk about a good band or a good movie without pointing out, hey, this is from Canada? Right? <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm guilty of that. But, uh, uh -huh. you know, Greg, you stand up big and tall for us here in Canada. We always really appreciate that. Yeah. One thing I, I would like the listeners probably learn that, that would find valuable is when Greg talks about, you know, 35 years managing risk and, and that I always hear that as credentials, like these, these are the credentials that give me an authority to speak on the subject, which is valuable, obviously. But beyond that, part of what I hear around Bitcoin, and I think what we see a lot in news headlines and and the places that are, are influencing the masses, sort of the middle of the bell curve, um, is that it's so risky. And when we hear the things that you're saying from the, from the experience that you're saying it, we've got a person who's professionally managed risk for 35 years, effectively saying this is actually a risk off asset. And that's what we're hearing from the plebs, right? We consider ourselves plebs. We, uh, I'm late to Bitcoin or, or late to, to the early party at least. Uh, having started last year, but uh, the feedback I get when I speak to people in my circle is, uh, oh, it's so volatile. It's so risky. The risk is so big. And so volatility of price equals risk. And you've got somebody who understands probabilities, who understands um, execution and the consequences of that execution at, a, at an extremely high level based on probabilities telling you that, no, this is, this is insurance. Um, I particularly like the comparison to fire insurance, and um, there's a lot more to it there than uh, what's the price of the day or what's the market willing to pay for it in the moment. So that's extremely yeah. valuable. Well said, Stephen. You know what? I, I just want the listeners to understand. Uh, uh, first of all, yeah, we're, we're Canadian, right? Uh, we have our little, uh, we have some things, and I, I still remember meeting you and your brother, and then uh, a bunch of your buddies had down in Bitcoin, Miami and, uh, Hey, Fosser. And then we had a good old time, <laughs> yeah. but, but here's the cool thing is, is that, um, the Bitcoin community is one of the most generous communities I've ever been involved with. Okay. First of all, in the world, I'd say, I don't know, is it fair to say that 85% of the world are takers? I think that's a pretty standard number of which when you work on Wall Street and Bay Street, that number goes up to 99%, okay? Like literally everybody on Bay Street and Wall Street are greedy takers. But the Bitcoin community is generous with their time. They're generous with the desire to help educate others. Some of them are Bitcoin maxis that they can be uh, very toxic. And you know, I'm not, I'm a Bitcoin realist. I, I, absolutely support it, but I don't, uh, you know, support the Bitcoin maximalists that say you need to own 100% of your uh, assets in Bitcoin. It's just not the way I've ever managed risk. And I think it's, you know, it's, you know, yes, it is volatile. There's no question. But as Bill Miller, a very famous risk manager in the United States said, volatility is the price of return. Mm -hmm. if, if I show you an asset that's not volatile, I know that the return is going to be de minimis. Okay. Yeah, volatility Bitcoin is, is a two-way street, right? Volatility correct. is is not just on the down. Correct. Uh, that that's showing you uh, what the potential is on the way up as well. Yeah, yeah. So very happy to be here with you guys. I mean, um, 
Canada is a great country still. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're in the, we're in the, in the uh, throes of messing it up big time. But mm-hmm. luckily, and I'll say this as a proud Canadian, I've had conversations with a number of members of parliament that understand from both sides of the aisle, oh. conservatives and liberals, that actually understand the benefit of Bitcoin. Canada punches above its weight in the Bitcoin community. Mm-hmm. Guys like Jeff Booth. I mean, this guy is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, France, Francis Pouliot, okay? Uh, Rodolfo, NVK on Twitter, mm-hmm. who does CoinKite. Uh, Jean Amouy, who does ShakePay, the ShakePay wallet. Uh, BTC Tomer. Sessions, Tomer. Yeah. I'll see Tomer this weekend for a Bitcoin meetup in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, proud to be a part of this crew that, uh, that we punch above our weight uh, in the global Bitcoin community. Totally agree. I, uh, I have uh, a deep-seated affection for Canada. Here's my final story. You guys may or may not know this. Look up Fossmobile.com mm. and realize mm. that my great uncle created Canada's first gasoline-powered motor car. And Henry Ford asked him to go into business. And he said, no, these things will never catch on. Well, don't overthink this, people. Okay. Bitcoin is right now where Ford Motor Company was in 1907 when he asked my great uncle to go into business. Everybody knows that when in 1907 they asked a... uh, a population what they needed they said a faster horse no 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 they needed an automobile yeah well bitcoin is not a faster horse it's actually an automobile it's taking it to the next level of technology so please don't overthink this as a proud canadian fifth generation canadian uh do it for your kids do it for canada uh, thanks for having me, Lauren. Hey. Uh, Stephen, it's uh, gr- great to meet you and say hi to your brother and, and all the guys. And uh, yeah, listen, uh, let's hope we get together some, uh, some Bitcoin meetup in, in person. Uh, really appreciate your, uh, your time. Yeah, we appreciate yours. All right. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. Take appreciate care. it. Thank you, guys. Great talking to you. Have Likewise. a great night. You okay. Take care. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, that was pretty awesome. That guy's so cool. Love that guy. The yeah. passion, right?